everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm the host of the most, as always, Adela Marcy, and today we are we are basically sponsored by AdelaMarcy.com, StorySellingBlueprint.com, and LevelUpCopy.com, uh, of which we've got the CEO, owner, and founder of LevelUpCopy.com, Michael Whitcoff, with us. Did I get your name right? Yeah, I did. Cool, Michael. Glad to be glad that you're here, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate the invitation. It was good meeting you on that webinar uh, with the other guys and. Um... I'm excited to see uh, where this goes. Hells yeah. Um, for the people that haven't actually checked it out, I'm posting the webinar link on my site, adelmarsh.com. Just uh, search Roundtable because we had Carlos uh, Redlick on there recently. We've got Michael on and we should have the other guys, uh, what's called Ace and Ronnie on later on at some point as well because they it was really, really fun talking to them. But Michael uh, and I really connected because while we were doing the name three things that you can learn from each other or whatever it was. We just kind of like riffed on exactly the same thing about energy projection, esoteric shit. So, mm. you know, I had to get him on the show because, you know, you know how I like weird, weird people. I'm fucking weird as shit. So we have fun with it. All right, Michael, give us a little bit of an introduction about you. How long you've been writing, what you've been up to and what the latest is. So my background is in face-to-face -face fundraising. So when I moved, so I, I've lived all over the country, but I lived in Hawaii for a while for five months in this kind of like hippie community out in the jungle, which was a good time. I don't think I'd go back, but it was fun. Then I moved to San Diego and uh, I basically had no money and I needed a job. And my uncle helped me find this job working for canvassing for an environmental group. And it paid like uh, 12 or 13 bucks an hour, which a few years ago was pretty good, especially considering you get to stand outside and talk to your friends all day. So I started doing that. I started standing outside in malls, calling people over, getting them to sign up uh, for monthly donations, going door to door, uh, doing the same thing. And I did it for a whole bunch of different companies. I did generating solar leads door to door. I worked for San Diego Gas and Electric for a while going door to door um, and eventually realized that I was actually pretty good at what I was doing. And I, I actually have graduated from hypnotherapy school as well, so I have some NLP and hypnosis skills that I would weave into my pitches where, uh, where applicable, and eventually decided for a number of reasons that we can go into on the call if you want. Um, some of it gets a little bit dark, but uh, a few reasons. I decided to try my hand online with the same skills, and you know, copywriting is not that fundamentally different from face-to-face from -face sales. Um, similar structure and flow. Um, so I started writing for myself at first. Uh, I had a book in the men's dating world that I sold five or six hundred copies of, and that was my first successful venture. Uh, and then quickly realized that basically every single business needs copy because even if you have the best product in the world, no one's going to find it, no one's going to care, no one's going to buy it unless you can demonstrate that your product solves their problem. That's what they care about, right? Yeah. And well, this yeah, is actually man. something. Yeah. And uh, this is something that basically every client. When they come to me, they have the same problem. And I started this way too, where their ad is all about them and how great they are and their qualifications. And I call it the look how great I am syndrome, right? Yeah. People only care about that once they're interested and once they recognize that you understand them, that you have been where they are and hooked them somehow. And then once they're interested, that's when that kind of stuff matters. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of taken off from there. And now I, I write for a whole bunch of different people and companies and, uh, um, just got some good news today about a promotion I did for a client, which I stupidly did not ask for a royalty on, which is a, a lesson learned, and I will not make that mistake again. Yep. So yeah, it's just been an adventure. That's pretty awesome, man. I'm really, really happy to hear that. Now, just kind of backtracking a little bit, because there's something that you said that is really stupidly important for everyone listening in. 
um, obviously, you know, this is an audio interview that we'll be doing. Um, Michael literally said that you need to stop kind of like exemplifying yourself and showing, look how great I am. That great I am syndrome works at a certain time. But when you're starting off, the best thing you can do, because you, you will face imposter syndrome. I think nearly everyone faces imposter syndrome at one point or another. The way that you overcome that is when you're writing your promotions, go through something what we call WIIFM, W-I-I-F-M, which is what's in it for me. I think Gary mm, Allen yeah. coined that term, and it's so it's it served me so well. But like, kind of backtracking to give you guys an example, I was writing an email sequence for a friend of mine this morning. I say writing, I was more or less just like looking through and telling them what to change. It was blocks of paragraph graphs, which is a no-no. But more importantly, it was um, everything just almost started with I, me, my journey, stuff. Yep. And I was like, yep. dude, cut all this shit out and just write. So I started out like this, this, and this, just like you. Continue on mm. about them, and it works. So yeah. it, it's such a powerful thing. The only time, the only time that look how great I am works in a promotion is if you're leading with proof, like if you're showing a picture of your results, because that is enough to hook people, and it answers the question, "What's in it for me?" Right. So, like Mike Dillard, I've seen his ads on Facebook about growing your list, and right there is a big picture of his charts and his metrics. So that's kind of look how great I am but it's in a way that the audience cares about and adds a lot of authority and credibility. So it, that can work. Um, but that's different than just talking about your own self. I'm actually going to go ahead and add another example. The way that you can say, look how great I am as well works is when you're running, what well, I, I really want to get this guy on the show, Donald Miller, because he's fucking awesome. If you haven't mm. checked out his stuff, I recommend that you do. Donald is more of a story brand guy. I wouldn't call him a direct response copywriter, but he uses a lot of our principles in his promotions. And that dude's entire thing is like build your story about how you start off, like take them through the hero's journey, you know, all the other stuff. And you can start with look at how great I am now, but it wasn't always this way before. And you kind of like mm. do a prelude and like, this is where I am today. Check where I started out though. This is the journey mm. of a great person. And now this is the shit I'm going to teach you how to get here. So it works in several ways and how you can get that. But with that being said, something I did want to explore with you as well is that it's really funny how many copywriters and great copywriters really uh, and marketers and salespeople start off in door-to-door face-to-face selling. Like if you can sell, mm-hmm. like, um, shit, who was it? Who's the investor? It was a really great investor. Can't remember his name. Don't know why it's eluding me right now. It could be Warren Buffett. It could be someone else. Um, it was, I don't do business. Like when I'm buying companies or investing in them, I have a simple thing that I look for that tells me how good that company is going to be as in the startup. And that is, I look at if the CEO or president of the company or the head of sales has ever done door-to-door sales. If they've, ever, if they've ever done that, I will happily put my money in because they know how, how to sell. Because a lot of VPs of sales have never fucking sold a thing. I don't know if you actually know this, but the majority of like VP of sales, I think like 50% have never actually sold a damn thing on the phone. What they've done is take a shitload of uh, courses by salespeople and tell other people how to do it, but never really got on the phone themselves. So Interesting. Yeah, it's essentially like we're going to repeat back what, you've, what we've been told rather than we were on the phone with someone and told them, hey, fuck it, this is what you need to do. Yeah, um, I mean... We used to do, so I don't think people realize, like, you go out, and I won't name the company, but you go out and you see, let's say, environmental groups canvassing, you know, the, they're hippies, they usually smell like weed, they have beads in their hair and tattoos and everything, and they're talking about the environment, saving the environment. People don't realize what a ruthless and cutthroat environment it actually is for the canvassers. So every single morning, uh, before we go hit the streets, as it was called, we would stand there pitching each other 
like giving each other like three, four, five objections in a row just to practice what we call objection cycling. Yep. So we had a very specific structure and format we would use to overcome objections, get them interested again. Um, it, it's very in-depth and hardcore sales that's going on. Um, and also you get fired if you miss your quota for two weeks, even if you've been at this company for years. Wow. Um, so there's high competition, high turnover. You really either learned how to pitch and close or you just didn't have a job. So it was really phenomenal training for me. Yeah, it really is. And I think I even spoke to this call. Like, it was a tip that we gave with last week with Carlos as well was um, pitch each other every day. Like no matter what, it's just yep. pitch each other because that will keep you sharp. If you're in mm -hmm. business, I think that's the first thing you should do every morning. It's like pitch yourself in the morning. Like to go and say, all right, how are we going to do this? We're going to do this. Give yourself an objection. Like, I don't feel like doing this today. Well, I don't. I totally understand that. This is how it goes. Objections cycle around it. Like, I appreciate mm -hmm. how you feel, but I think it would be much better for you if you did this and then you just get yourself to do it. It's an easy way of mm -hmm. practicing. But kind of jumping off of that, what would you say would be the most influential books that have ever um, influenced you in terms of business and life? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question that you kind of cut out there for a oh, second? Oh, sorry, dude. But yeah, what was it like? Uh, the question was, what would be some of the most influential books that have influenced your life and business? The most influential books. It's funny you ask. I was just, I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, so we're going to get a little bit more esoteric here than I think because a it. lot of people, people ask me all the time, like, who do you follow? What business books do you read? And um, the vast majority of the books I read are not business-related. You know, I've read Breakthrough Advertising and Great Leads, and those are really important fundamentals for business. Um, I read the New Testament at least once a day. There's so much in there that, that keeps me going in life and uh, just inspires me and keeps me grounded and keeps me sane. So I do a lot of that. Um, there's a book called The Master Key System by Charles Hanel that I have been going through recently that's really, really great stuff. Great stuff, right? There. Um, yeah, as long as you actually do the exercises. Um like I, so I do, I do 15 minutes of that per night, what he calls going into the stillness or the silence, whatever his term for it was, where basically I just sit completely still, clear mind, you know, practicing what thoughts I'll allow pass through my mind or not, just to become a better uh, master of my own fortress, as you could say. Mm -hmm. And on a similar note to that, there's a book called The Kybalion. Yep, I've um, got one. That the Kibale. Oh, you got it. You read it. It's oh, awesome, yeah, right? Hold, hold up one second for the guys. That, uh, it's not gonna be on video, but I'll post it up. I've got it somewhere around here. You know when you have like so many books that you can't remember where the hell you just put the damn thing. But yeah, please continue yep. on about uh, the Kabalian. So it's written by. It, it's attributed to what's called three initiates. Um, I'm pretty sure I know who two of them are. I think one of them is probably William Walker Atkinson, who's one of my favorite authors. I'm pretty sure another one of the two is Paul Foster Case. Uh, I'm not sure who the third is or if there even is a third one, but basically what it taught me, similar to the master key system, was the laws that govern your own mind. Yep. Because when you get a handle on how your own mind works and you actually take control of it instead of being pulled this way and that way by all the different thoughts and instincts and impulses that will drag you around until you get control of it, um, it just results in such a more stable and successful and peaceful and happy life. Yeah, there you go. Right yeah, there. Found it. <laughs> the Book of Hermetic Philosophy. Exactly. See, Philosophy I... of, uh, it's probably Greek, but it claims to be from Egypt. You know, with these kinds of books, you never actually know where, the where they came is. from. Yeah, you know, they all come up with their own origin story, and they all want to be the oldest and most authentic. And you never know. So 
I just go for the content. So I found those three books. Between those three, Master Key, Kybalion, and the New Testament, those are really my three go-to uh, books for keeping myself on the right track. That's pretty sweet. See, I I think just to kind of like jump into the whole third thing, considering when it was written and released, I'd actually wager that the third of the three elders was Ralph Waldo Emerson. It very well could be. Yeah, yeah. you never know. Because Emerson's ideas were pretty out there when it came to it, but he was... They aligned with very much what the Kabbalion says. Yeah, all all these there was like this explosion of these new thought ideas, right? Yeah, you have, and, and I'm not saying I agree with everything these guys think. I'm actually been writing a, a book criticizing some of them in certain ways. But you have people like Napoleon Hill, Neville Goddard. Um, you know, See, the modern incarnation would be guys like Bob Proctor is kind of a continuation of that line of thought. And it was like this explosion all at once of all these people doing this stuff. Um, and that's, this is where like this secret comes from, where the law of attraction comes from. It's all kind of taken and Wallace Waddles, you know, yeah. that's where all these things come from. I would actually venture as far as saying, um, after the revelation about Napoleon Hill recently, I've kind of like, I, I never, I understand why I never really sunk in with thinking grow rich. What do you, what revelation are you referring to? The fact that he was found out that a lot of his stuff, uh, he never did. A lot of it turned yeah, out to be quite a it. bit weird. As in you I believe, believe that it. he did it, or you believe that he didn't do it? No, I believe that he probably didn't. Um, yeah. There's a very fine line. So this is the this is the trick. So this is part of why I, I stay grounded in the New Testament so often, and my my faith and my, my religion and my spirituality that comes from there, is because when you start playing with these ideas of the mind creating reality and that kind of stuff, it can become a very blurry line between lying to yourself and and deciding, making decisions in your mind. And I think a lot of people, I think Napoleon Hill probably fell victim to this, where he was writing from who he wanted to be in order to manifest it, but it wasn't honest. Yeah. So compare that with a guy like Charles Hanel, who before he wrote the Master Key System was a very successful businessman. You know, I don't, I'm not even sure Napoleon Hill ever spoke ideas in his books. Um, I like um, Grow Rich with Peace of Mind. I thought it was a very useful book. I, I yeah. liked that was the last thing he wrote. He was like eighty. You know, he had he had won a. Dude, you cut out. Hmm. All right, we're hitting some technical issues, guys. We're gonna get Michael back in just a moment. Dude, can you hear me? Sorry, uh, I didn't hear, yeah, you. I can hear you. I I literally cut out with. Napoleon Hill when he was 80, uh, think, uh, what was it, Think oh. Rich with Peace of Mind. That's where you cut out. So I'm going to stop my video there. But um, yeah, please. Can continue. you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear now. Could you actually continue oh. on that point? Sure. So there's a book he wrote that Dan Kennedy suggested. Um, and basically anything, mind. Yep. yeah, anything, anything Kennedy suggests, I'm going to look into. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure from hints I've seen in Kennedy's books that he's a big fan of New Thought as well. Talking about how nothing occurs outside until it occurs in the mind. Um, so I I found Napoleon Hill's books useful, but I don't take it necessarily as truth. Um, but guys like Atkinson and Hanel, as far as I know, they actually did accomplish what they claimed to accomplish. Um, so I always I always try to keep myself grounded in discerning truth from falsehood when it comes to these things, while still gaining the useful lessons from from the teachings. That I totally agree with. Uh, it's very similar. I mean, um, so many people actually don't realize how many great books are out there. And essentially, one of the first teachers I ever had, he told me this. He goes, what you want to do is you want to study from everyone you can, but always question it with a grain of salt. 
Um, and always note that whatever the source is that you're being taught, I think we've lost you again. Uh, so I'll just say this for the, uh, for the sake of the show. Essentially, whatever you basically take home with a grain of salt, you continually move forward. I have no idea what's happening there. Hold on. Okay, so we had a little bit of a technical fault here that kind of set us back a couple of minutes, but that's fine. We're back live and in charge. All right, so kind of continue on what they said was a grain of salt was uh, that any advice that you basically get given, take it with a grain of salt or a pinch of salt if you want. And essentially, always learn from those that are there because your teachers may not be as obvious to you as you'd seem. Someone that could be evil or a manipulator or a tyrant or any kind like that, they could be actually teaching you a very important life lesson. Your only thing is oh, yeah. you have to kind of find what the lesson in that manipulation is or that tyranny is. I think, again, we spoke about one of my favorite books of all time is uh, The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. He kind of like examines the 48 laws that govern the ancient world of power and how it's still used today. Not so much an exact formula on what to do and how to get an upper hand, but definitely one to actually go ahead and keep in mind. Hmm. Yeah. But that's, definitely. Yeah. I, uh, I, I read that book. Um, I, I don't seek to like dominate people and manipulate people. Uh, I read it mainly to learn to protect myself from those kinds of techniques. Yep. And I always, every interaction I go into, I always come into it from a place of like, assume of being win-win, assuming the other person's win-win. Now, if I, if someone starts using one of those techniques on me, I can exert psychological pressure over them to get them to like, leave me alone or whatever. Like I can use it against them if I catch them doing it but I never enter into an interaction from a place of like, ha ha ha, I'm going to get one up on you or anything like that. Yep. So I, I'd say I used it mainly for self-defense, psychological self-defense. Well, that's essentially what the book was created for. Like the 48 laws yeah. of power wasn't so much created for you to go ahead and say, here's a playbook for everything that's going on. It's more like, Hey uh, guy, people out there will play tricks on you. People out there will try mm -hmm. and get the better of you. So be aware of this stuff because oh, it's yeah. very important. That you are aware. Now, with that being said, um, one of my all-time favorite lessons from that book is, again, so many great lessons, but the one that sticks out for me mostly is, uh, I think it's law number 27, about how to build a cult or a following. Mm. Um, now, if you take use of that and not use it in a manipulative sense, I believe you can actually build an entire business just based around that one law. I mean, Colin Terrio, um, he's, he's done that. I mean, cult of copies oh, yeah. is huge. I mean, you've seen what that what that is. And someone, is a new, someone who knew Colin before he became the cult of copy head, I can tell you it's, it, it was amazing to see the shift between like night and day with the guy. Mm, it like interesting. A, it was really interesting to see. But with that being said, what would you say would be some of the most important business lessons you've actually learned? Except for, you know, the whole selling is a thing that you need to do. The more, um, how do I put this? Let's reword that. What would you say would be the most important business lessons you've learned that aren't usually taught? Oh, okay. Yeah. The most important business lessons I've learned that aren't usually taught. So one thing I've learned, uh, this is not a mistake I made, but you know, I see mistakes my clients make and I learn a lot from and the idea of social proof is obviously very important. And, um, some people go overboard with the dishonesty. They'll buy like tens of thousands of likes on their Facebook page to make it seem fancy or whatever. And 
Hello? No, I'm still here. I'm still here. Okay. I just switched off my video. So I had one guy, for example, he wanted me to uh, do Facebook ads for him. And I saw he had this page with, I think it was 26,000 likes. And I thought, okay, awesome. We can go into the audience insights. We can um, extract the data we need and we can make this easy. And he said, well, actually that won't work. I said, well, what do you mean it won't work? He goes, well, oh, that's all fake. Like none of it's real. So not only did he waste all, all of his money or not all of it, but some of his money building this fake audience, but then when it actually comes down to selling, which is entirely based on research in my opinion, um, it was worthless data because he went so overboard with the, what you could call like the lifestyle marketing positioning of building himself up to being this like super awesome popular guy, which to be fair, he did later become, but you know, these things have negative effects on your business when you're trying to actually sell things if you don't go about it honestly. Um, so I, I, I like to stress integrity with, with clients. Um, in fact, I, I turn down projects where that's not a, an important thing. Uh, a business lesson that's not usually taught. So this is something I don't see as often as I should, in my opinion. Um, I see a lot of people like selling copywriting templates as yep. if that's going to be the key to the sale. And to be fair, you do need a structure. But if, if people aren't teaching you how to do research and build customer avatars, then they're not really teaching you how to succeed, in my opinion, with copy or, or sales. So when I see people offering templates at, for, for money, in my opinion, it's usually the case that they're either just a fraud who found some blog and put together a free thing and they don't know what they're doing, or they're not actually giving you the best of their ability. So what that leads into is genuinely wanting the best for your clients, I think is a really, really important thing. Not, not just doing it as a strategy, but when you actually want the best for the people you work with, they can tell, they can feel it. It builds better business relationships and the products usually come out better as well. So I would say the human aspect is a, a business lesson that I, I, would, I would teach uh, more often. Now, I want to add a caveat to that. There are people, and I post about this semi-frequently, who make a lot of money and pay no attention to that. But if you look at their life as a whole, at least for me, it's not something I would want. People who really don't have many friends or they're depressed or they have to use drugs or drink all the time, you know, there's a, there's a trade-off for, for how you treat people and how your own life goes, I think. And so I would just say to make sure you're treating people as you want to be treated, right? This is something that the vast majority of all world religions and philosophies have agreed on. Not all of them, but most of them is that when you treat your neighbor as yourself, the whole world becomes a better place. And I think that's just as applicable to business as anything else. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think one of the biggest things that people actually tend to forget, I mean, you and I have two different religions. Well, I don't say different. I mean, you said that, I'm guessing you're Christian, just assuming here based on the fact that you read the, the New Testament quite. I am I'm very Christian, yes. Cool, and I grew up Muslim, but you know, I have family with the different religions all over the world. Realistically, the way I looked at it was like, we're pretty much not that different. We have like similarities with a lot of things, but the main ones that really come down is love thy neighbor as you would thyself. Want for mm. your neighbor as you want for your brother as you would want for yourself. And most yeah. importantly, realistically, do good business and be honest about it, dum dum. Yeah. Because yeah. in reality, there's like, this is a personal view. I mean, people can disagree with it all they want, but this is my own personal view. I believe there's more than one way to get to heaven. The truth is, in my opinion, well, well my truth, is looking at it in the sense of you always are presented with a choice. Be honest or dishonest in the situation. 
Yes. When, and I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, when you choose honesty in any situation, as painful as it might be at that moment, it creates a ripple effect that when you're presented with, that, with the next honest, dishonest choice, it's a lot simpler for you to actually get the result you wanted anyway. Because mm. um, I, I swear to God, this may be in the New Testament, but I'm not sure because I've read it in a very long time. But I do know it's in uh, it's a Quranic verse, which is basically, um, what it, what's a hadith really? What I think it is. Essentially, someone quote me on this, send me a link, I'll be more happy to read it. But it actually says something along the lines of, um, what has befallen you, if it has befallen you, it was not meant for you. If it was passed you by, was not meant for you, and what's befallen for you was meant for you. So whatever you're given was meant for you. If it didn't, if that opportunity didn't work out, it was never meant for you. Essentially, it means be happy with what you've got and keep building the path that you have. That's the way it looks at it. I think we may have actually... Yeah, there oh, go. there you are. Yeah, Perfect. I cut out for a second there. Yeah, essentially what I was just saying was just to reiterate to everyone there and to Michael as well is that the, the, the definition, the meaning I got out of it, sorry, was that that whatever is given to you, whatever befalls you um, is meant for you, whatever passes you by is meant to pass you by. So if you mm. weren't given something, the opportunity didn't work out, whatever it was, it wasn't meant for you. If it did work out, it was meant for you. So essentially, be happy with what you got, be grateful and keep moving forward. That's why I look Definitely. at Definitely. But and that I think gratitude with, is very important. Yeah. Ma- massively. I mean, you've seen it. Like everything that you've done with the esoteric work, what is the one resounding fact that's come from all of it? I know for my work, it's that when you're grateful for something, whatever you're grateful for increases, whatever you're ungrateful mm. for decreases. Mm-hmm. And it's totally. I mean, you can't you can't have a happy life if you. And I, I try to stress this to people a lot. Like, what country are you in, Adil? Uh, I'm in the UK. I'm in London. Okay. So a lot of people in in the Western world complain about a huge number of issues, and I think it's sad because even though we don't have a, a perfect system, of course, because that can never actually be a thing. Yep. You know the the privileges that we have just by by being part of these countries, like the fact that we can start our businesses and use the internet and the government's not gonna come in and like censor our conversation that we're having. Like we have so much to be grateful for. And if we, if we think about, you know, how the world was even a hundred years ago, I mean, people could never have even imagined the, the comforts that we have. So I think even, even people who work jobs that they don't like, you know, the fact that they even have a job and can have a job and they're not forced into labor, you know, there's always something to be grateful for. Um, and I, I think the key is to switch your mindset from why don't I have more of what I want to looking at what you've got. And even if it takes comparing yourself to other parts of the world or even these parts of the world in the very recent past, just being so grateful for, for the things that you do have. Um, I, I know that a lot of people, I posted about this recently and, and one of my friends disagreed, but I, I, I meet more millionaires all the time, like these these, you know, you fly around these copywriting circles. These are the kind of people that fly around in there. And a surprising number of them are very unhappy, which was uh, interesting at first. But when you're just seeking to attain more outer stuff, you know, that's a path that doesn't go anywhere. That's what the Buddhists call a hungry ghost, where you just keep eating and eating and eating, but the food isn't getting digested, right? It's not satisfying you because your ghost passes through you, so you stay hungry. Whereas if you just look at what you've got and you're grateful for it, you know, you can be happy without, without having that much stuff. Um, so I, I, I just think that's a very important thing to do is to recognize what you do have and be happy for it while still striving for the things that you want. 
Agreed. Agreed massively. It's funny because I was having this exact same thought today as I was walking back. Um, I turned to my friend and I literally just said to her, I was like, you know what? This is the first time in my life I'm genuinely like, I don't, I didn't, I, like, I'd realized it before, but this is the first time I stopped and actually looked at it and gone, holy crap, my life is easy. Right? Like up until this point, everything was like a struggle. I gotta get this, I gotta get this. And now I'm like, mm. I can choose what I want to work. I can choose what I want to work. And she was like, you know what you are because there's a lot of people out there that are stuck in dead-end jobs they don't know what to do with. They don't yeah. have the knowledge we have. They don't have the set the other. I mean, it's out there. They just don't know to go for it. Yep. Um, and especially especially for guys like us who do the internet marketing, like we have something that 99% of the world will never have. We can work from our homes, in our pajamas, on our schedule with no boss, no over, well, very little overhead, no employees, like this is the dream. You know, we, we have that freedom life that, you know, people a couple hundred years ago had to worry about being eaten by animals or killed off by a disease. They didn't even have medicine to fix it. And so we're living in this like complete fantasy, amazing world. Um, we have so much to be grateful for. Um, it's great because when I, when I first went down this path, you know, I, I gave myself three years to build that life for myself. And I thought, you know what, if I can give up everything that I know, everything I'm comfortable with and all my social circles and going to bars and clubs and chasing women and all this stuff, if I can give all this stuff up for three years and just work really, really hard and I still can't do it by then, then maybe I'll like go back to a regular job or something. Um, but I got there in about two years. So I, I hit my deadline. Um, and it's amazing. Like people listening, I hope you, you hear what I'm saying. Like you're going to be working for the next two or three years anyway. So you can either be building someone else's dream for less money during those two and three years, or you're building your own. Like as long as you're going to be laboring, you may as well do it in the direction that actually time goes fast. We never actually know where the, the boundaries of our own life and mortality are. Like life's too short to, to spend that time not doing what you actually want to do, in my opinion. Agreed. And that brings us to my favorite part of the show. I get to ask you two of my favorite questions. The first being, oh. when you're when you were down, I mean everyone's had this, when you were down, confidence destroyed, I don't know if I'm actually even good enough, yada yada yada, all the fun, horrible thoughts that we go through as human beings, you know, the mm -hmm. cycle. Sure. What did you do to tilt tip the scales back in your favor so you can actually gain your confidence again? So you can actually feel like you are that person and exude that confidence outward as well as inward. What did you do? Are you talking specifically about with business or with life in general or a bit of both? Let's go with both. Okay. So ultimately what got me through those periods, which I had constantly in the beginning, you know, when I, I had to learn this whole language of copywriting from the ground up, like I didn't know what traffic was or conversions or split testing. And I like rebelled against it the whole time. Like I didn't care. I didn't want to learn it. I just wanted to have an online business and I didn't know if I was good enough or smart enough. Like you said, all that stuff. But my, my, what Napoleon Hill calls is the burning desire carried me through it. You know, Nietzsche, whose name I know I'm mispronouncing, said, who has a sufficient why can overcome any how. And so the answer is no matter how painful it was or no matter how difficult it was, I, I did not leave myself any options. I gave myself those three years to do it and I was going to do it one way or the other. And then I started getting feedback from the real world, you know, outside of me, um, getting conversions on client sales letters, making them money, selling my own stuff. But even then, and it's interesting you ask this because this is something I, that really hit home about a week ago. Um, it took a long time for my self-image to actually catch up with the level of skill that I have. 
because even though I was making all this money for people and like in some cases taking their whole business to just an entirely another level all by myself, you know, I was interacting with them, but you know, taking over all the marketing for entire companies and then just having these amazing testimonials pour in because of earlier things in my life, I still didn't feel necessarily like I was worthy of being in those higher circles or charging higher fees. And I just recently started uh, teaching some of what I knew early on. And I realized, I thought, you know what? Even two years ago, I could have started giving back more of what I knew. I could have started contributing from a higher platform, um, but I didn't feel in my own self like I deserved it. And so the short, I'm really bad at giving short answers as you may have <laughs> noticed by now. Um, my relationship with God has made a huge difference as well. I was an atheist for a very long time. Um, I actually grew up Jewish and you know, I could have a three hour conversation just about this alone, but um, I didn't really start to understand what walking with God meant until later in life, like maybe a year ago or so. And basically what it comes down to is if you follow the commands and you live in a certain way, God fulfills his promise that good things will happen to you and you'll be taken care of. And so I rebelled for a really, really long time and argued and, you know, fought with people at church and, you know, well, what about this? What about this? You know, but the more that I learned how to just kind of let go and trust, the better thing has got. And now I've reached a place where I know that because of my lifestyle and the way that I conduct myself and the way that I treat people, things are going to go well for me. And they do like, there's no more, uh, there's no more doubt. There's no more fear. Um, so it is a combination of my faith increasing and just learning to recognize my own talents more instead of feeling like everyone else was better than me, especially once I realized how many people are just lying about their results anyway, yep. you know, for a while that kept me down. Oh, I did this, I did this and I'd be intimidated. And then later realized that, you know, a lot of them are just lying anyways. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say that's my, my version of a short answer. Oh, that, that's awesome. I actually appreciate that because that gives people an idea, ideal of, you know, everyone kind of goes through that. But more importantly, mm -hmm. something I want to touch on, um, I don't usually do this, but this actually just came up. I'm like, interesting opportunity. I'll throw it out there. It's true how many people actually lie about their results. I, I know oh, yeah, guy, constantly. I, like, I know a guy that for a long time, I never used to talk about my results of uh, the public because mm -hmm. I was scared that people were like, really, you did that? Prove it. And half the time, I could prove it, but the other half I couldn't because what I would do, I know myself well enough, I'm stupidly lazy with keeping, um, you know, like keeping heaps of paper everywhere. So like, prove the letter you wrote here. I'm like, I've got the original letter and that can show you yeah. everything I've done, but I don't have the metrics because I didn't ask for access to them afterwards. I just have what they've paid me. And, the and sometimes clients, yeah, and, and sometimes they... You know, they'll, they'll tell you, clients will tell you, hey, I made this much or they converted at this rate, but then they like move on to their next project and like they're done with you. Like you were the copywriter, you served your purpose. They don't necessarily want to Keep give you all the stuff. Yeah. So this is one of the reasons that when people ask me about like my income or results I've gotten for clients, like I don't really talk about it because there's no reason for people to believe me anyway. So many people throw numbers out that are, that are not true. You know, there's no way to discern it. So yeah. I, I'm always happy to put people in touch with my clients so they can talk to them themselves, but I usually refrain from discussing numbers uh, in public. Oh, I agree with you. That's actually a really, really good thing to do and a really smart way of doing business. But yeah, I always like putting people in touch with my clients and I always send them testimonials from said clients so people can go and read them and be like, 
holy shit, this guy actually did this, they did that. I'm like, yeah, well, and the other thing as well, so I love doing is, uh, it kind of sounds weird, but it's down to a value belief system I have, which is the, um, I run a very, a very strong, I'm not worthy belief mentally. And I know mm. that's something I'm still working on, but the way I know that's helped me in my career is that when someone says, oh yeah, well, why would I hire you? I just mm. stroke go, okay, show me your letter. Like, which means like, show, tell me about your product. Tell me about this. And they'll tell me a few things and then I start verbalizing the entire letter right down on the call. Mm. And they immediately go, holy crap, you know your stuff. I'm like, yeah, I've done it for a long enough time that why wouldn't I know my stuff? Yeah, you can demonstrate huge value just by, so I, whenever I'm talking with a new prospect, like I always give value first. I like to teach them something um, just to demonstrate that I know what I'm talking about. Like if they can reach out to me and say, hey, I want to write copy and they leave that first conversation like, with new knowledge or new information and guys, guys and gals listening out there, if you're a freelance copywriter, you should pay attention to this. Like now you're not just a commodity copywriter. You're not just one of the people from the Facebook group or from the forum. You become an important, maybe even pivotal part of their business. Now you become a go-to person. You become an expert, you become an authority and someone, and this is a really huge thing that again, we could talk about for hours. I think we talked about it a little bit on that round table webinar, like, when, pe when you give kind of freely, and I'm not just saying give everything away, everything away, everything away, but when you just freely give, then the person on the receiving end of that automatically and correctly assumes that you are living in abundance. Now, this is something that it took me a while to really figure out. Every client wants you to be a high-value writer or a high-value consultant. They want to work with people who are in abundance. They don't want to work with the guy who. Not oh, crap. We lost him. Hold on a second, guys. Just going to quickly find him. Bear with us. Hey, deal? Yeah. Hey, dude. Sorry about that. It literally just cut out. No worries. You, and you literally got to the pivot point, which is like, People want to work with people with abundance and that's what they're looking yeah. for. And then it cut out. I was like, damn it. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. Nice. I'll go back into it. So yeah, people want to work with high value people and high value people come from a place of abundance. If you are being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stingy. It starts with an S. Stingy. Yes. If you are being stingy with your, either your compassion or your interest or your energy or your value, you know, there are some people who I've seen position themselves that way because they think it makes them look more like an expert. Um, I think it makes them look like a clown. Personally, I would never work with those people. <laughs> Agreed. Um, won't name names, of course. Um, people want to work with the one who's abundant. They want to work with the person who, when you share with them something in, as part of your discovery call, they think, oh, wow, this guy's got so many clients or this girl's got so many clients that like they can afford to give a little bit away and they're not afraid of losing me. And just that one little shift in their own perception and in their own mind, in my opinion, can often go a long way towards getting hired because that's who they want to work with. They want to work with the person who has all the clients. And when you conduct yourself this way, you don't have to go around bragging saying, oh, well, you know, I've got three other clients this week. So if you don't take this spot now, then you might lose out. Like they get it because you're demonstrating your abundance without saying it. I think it comes back to showing and not telling. Yep. Like you want them to perceive you as abundant and high value, but you don't do it by saying I am abundant and high value. You do it by conducting yourself as if you are abundant and high value. And ideally you really will be too. Yeah, exactly. If you basically put in the work of course you will be why wouldn't you be exactly. that brings me to my favorite question of the show and oh. it's it's basically three quick tips and mm. I'm a, I, I know you some Len you run with the mic here 
Um, it's essentially <laughs> what three pieces of advice would you give someone? And again, this this goes out to three different markets. So it could be an overarching thing. It could be one for each person. And that is essentially the first mm. people that you're speaking to is people that are entrepreneurs, as you know, as widely accepted as the term, but realistically, I call them people that are looking to jump onto the hustle of like becoming their own boss. So those mm-hmm. people that are in transition from working for someone else to working for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entrepreneur that, or business owner or copywriter that's basically, you know, I've worked for myself for so long, I'm just going through a dip right now. I don't know when the roller coaster is going to come back up. I'm at the bottom mm-hmm. part of the roller coaster. And the third group of people are people that have hit a plateau. They're like, I'm doing great. I, I just don't know how I can go further up from here. I've hit a glass ceiling. What three sure. pieces of advice would you give to those guys? doesn't have to be a business. That is a great question. Could be about anything. Okay, so I'll address the first one last, and I'll start with the second one. People saying there's a roller coaster. I don't know when it's coming back up. So one of the laws from the Kybalion is the law of rhythm. And what the law of rhythm means is that everything ebbs and flows. And if you think about the world, you know, the sun rises and sets. The moon goes in its orbit. Civilizations rise and fall. Everything moves in a consistent rhythm. And there's an illusion that some people have that things are need to be permanent or should be stable in a certain way that they are not. And as long as you are thinking or operating in your life from a place that is opposed to the laws of nature, you're always going to lose and you're going to feel bad and it's going to be confusing. But when you can recognize laws, so when you're in a dip, the important thing to recognize is, okay, well, if I'm in a dip now and the rhythm is dip, rise, dip, rise, then there's a rise coming soon. And so what you should do is prepare yourself and put yourself in the best position to take advantage of that next crest, knowing full well that afterwards is going to be another dip. Now, if you do this properly, what you do on that crest, you know, your next dip will still be at a higher place than the dip you're in now. There's actually a really great program called Peaks and Valleys that I really recommend that is a practical application of the law of rhythm. And once you start to attune yourself to these natural laws, a lot of the confusion and the pain goes away. In regards to the person who's hit a plateau, the third person you asked about, I would say anything you're at in life where you're kind of maxing out, the difference is energy. And you need to discover more energy um, in yourself, essentially. And if you follow the master key system we talked about earlier, you learn how to get in touch with that kind of universal resource that we're all connected to. So if you drill down into that and get more in touch with that, then that's probably the way through that plateau is to, to... rise on the planes a little bit. So there's a quote by William Walker Atkinson that I really like that's going to confuse a lot of people listening, but let him with the ears to hear, hear this. The wise convert circles into spirals by advancing the center point of motion. And if you can grasp what I just said, then that will be the answer to getting through your plateau. What was the first person you asked me to address? person that's jumping from full-time work to wanting to be an entrepreneur. Oh, okay. Um, You need to sacrifice everything and keep going. And even though it sucks at first, you need to take the massive action with the understanding that as long as you're applying your energy and your action properly, eventually you'll start to figure it out. Now, again, to this person, I would recommend the Kybalion and the Master Key System because the way that you've set up your freedom business or whatever it is you're after in your mind kind of determines the flow of how things will go in your business. So if you just want to have your own business, that is not a sharply defined goal. That is not really an end point. 
And if you don't have an endpoint, you're basically like a ship out in the ocean, you know, just floating this way and this way and this way saying, well, I want to get to shore. Okay. But if you don't know what shore you're trying to get to, then how will you know whether you're getting closer or farther? How will you know whether you're maybe even going backwards to the shore you came from? You have to define your endpoint as clearly as you can and then keep your mind, instead of focused on the details of your business, like, you know, which landing page software should I use? Should I sell things on Amazon or should I do freelance marketing? Keep your mind focused on your endpoint and those things will make themselves known to you. So set your end game and then kind of let go of the details and let, let the universe kind of fill in the blanks for you. That would be my advice to that person. That is pretty awesome, dude. Thank you so much for actually being here. I mean, we've covered so many crazy-ass topics. We've had a couple of shortages with internet connections, which is a bit of a weird one for me. Um, but, guys, thank you for sticking through the entire show. Michael, what's your site? Again, it's uplevelcopy.com, if I'm not mistaken. It's levelupcopy.com. Levelupcopy.com. Links Hello? will be in description. Sorry, just we cut out for a second. That <laughs> literally just for oh, a no worries. Oh, hit myself in the eye. Um, but yeah, level up. What was it? Levelupcopy.com. Yes, if you go to levelupcopy.com, you can see there's different services my agency offers. You can see uh, client testimonials. You can find the application because I can't work with everybody at this point, and there are certain things I look for with clients to make sure it's the best possible outcome. Um, but everything you could possibly need to know about me and my company is over at levelupcopy.com. So feel free to reach out to me there. Yeah, dude's a cool guy to talk to. All right, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Guys, I will see you on the next episode of Adam Marcy Unplugged. And thanks again, Michael, for joining us. Sure, thank you again for the invitation. You're welcome.